Hey, this is Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, third edition out now, and you're listening to your morning coffee podcast with my friends Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart, weekly music news for the new music business. From Spotify for Artists, fans study, fans make it possible, and we have the data to prove it. From At Venue. An updated look at artist merch trends in 2023. And for Music Business Worldwide, user-centric new study of 50,000 indie SoundCloud artists shows one in five could double income under streaming model. Well, that's very interesting, Jay. What do you say? Mm. We've got so much to talk about today, including lots of Spotify news and lots of other stuff. So Jay and I are very glad you're here, and we are going to push the button right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Jay, good to see you, man. Good, good to, to see, see you, you on a Sunday. Good yeah, Sunday. which is rare for us. Um, it's so good. It's so good uh, hearing Randy Meisner and the Eagles. And sadly, you know, he recently passed away. And, you know, that song, Take It to the Limit, has always been one of my favorite songs. That was written by Randy Meisner with Don Henley and uh, Glenn Fry. Came off of their fourth album, One of These Nights. Mm -hmm. Back in 1975. Uh, The single version is almost a minute shorter than the album version. Uh, It's the only Eagles A-side not sung by Glenn Frey or Don Henley. And uh, the the single reached number four on the U.S. Billboard chart. But if you've seen the documentary, and you and I have talked about it, it's called The History of the Eagles. It is 
brilliant. It is maybe yeah, one, one of my favorite. You know, and we yeah, we talk about we talk about documentaries all the time, but that one is you know if, it's if special. You, it's special, and it, you really you know if, if we were to compile a list of just the top five documentaries in music, that would be on the list. I mean, that was yeah. a tough band to be in, and if you saw the documentary, you know that uh, Randy Meisner grew concerned about hitting the high notes at the end of that song. Uh, so he didn't enjoy playing it live. He didn't like the pressure, and that no. led to the disputes between he and uh, Don and Glenn. Yeah. And one yep. of the reasons, one of the main reasons, he kind of split the band. Just as you know, that was he. He made it through the tour for Hotel California, and then he was gone. And uh, yeah. yeah, pretty sad. You know, a lot of these guys are, are of course, if we've talked about, are leaving the planet and leaving. Uh, leaving this mortal coil and yeah. it's sad it's sad to see some of those heroes that we grew up listening to not around yeah. anymore well somebody told me the other day that we're really the first generation with aging rock stars and dying rock stars you know I, i'm sure my parents you know with maybe elvis and and some of that but really it's it's too common now that we're not only losing people but you know, he was 77, but we've, we've also, you know, and that's way too young, but we've lost people younger. And, you know, we look at some of these artists now that are still out touring well into their seventies. It's, it's crazy. I mean, Mick Jagger turned 80 last week. Yes, he did. Paul McCartney is 81, I believe. And if John Lennon were alive, he would be uh, 83 and 83. Yeah. And I think Ringo's 83. So, and still yeah. out. Still out playing the in the case of Ringo uh, and McCartney, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah. it is crazy, crazy, crazy. By the way, Jay, you know when we do the show, we have sponsors, and we are so lucky to have the great sponsors we have, including Hypebot since two thousand and four. Hypebot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla, Hypebot, and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. Yeah, and Bands in Town just keeps growing. Over 80 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist services platform, connecting over 589,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Indeed, and big thanks to the Music Business Association. The Music Business Association creates the rooms in which the important conversations that shape our industry's future take place. We know when we work together, our industry, your business, and your people will be stronger. Our membership represents every major segment of the global music business, including labels and distributors, music streaming, retail and wholesale, publishers and PROs, rights management and metadata, artist managers, tech and startups. Go over to uh, musicbiz.org for more information. So big thanks to the Music Business Association, Hypebot and Bands in Town. Certainly appreciate yes, it. And of yeah. course, I appreciate the 33rd hardest working man in show business and maybe the most hey, that's handsome. Me. That's exactly Exactly. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> My buddy Jay Gilbert, he's a music industry consultant. He's the curator of the weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal, Sony and Warner Music Groups. Uh, yes, sir. And I get to do this podcast every single week. My buddy Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music Group, Capital EMI and Universal Music Groups. 
Indeed, indeed, indeed. Well, we've got so much to cover, Jay. And yeah, uh, lots a lot of, of it involves Spotify. Yeah. A lot exactly. of Spotify news this this week. Um, and we can't go through all of it because it would take the entire show, but we'll pull out the most important points. A um, couple of stories um, from Music Business Worldwide, one of our favorite sources. The first one, um, the headline was Spotify is raising its price in the U.S. and 52 other markets. How much money will that make the music industry? So, you know, it's been 12 long years. Um, and, and finally, they announced uh, a 10% rise in individual premium subscriptions in the U.S., uh, up from $9.99 to $10.99. That's right. Spotify is also raising the price of its other subscription plans in the U.S. This includes its family plan, which moves up to $15.90, from $15.99 to $16.99 per month. It's the second time Spotify is up this particular price point in the, in the U.S. The first was back in 2021. and brings Spotify's family plan pricing in line with that of other services such as Apple Music and YouTube Music. That's right. And Spotify isn't just increasing prices in the U.S. It's also raising subscription prices um, across various plans, individual premium, in a whopping 52 other markets, including UK, Canada, Brazil, Spain, France, Australia, Indonesia, Israel, Sweden, and Mexico. So you may be wondering, how much will this new round of price increases from Spotify be worth to the company and to the music rights holders to whom it pays out around 70% of its income? Well... According to Spotify's own Q1 2023 report, reflecting the end uh, back in, at the end of March, it had 210 million premium subscribers globally, of which approximately 28% resided in North America. That means approximately 58.8 million subs in North America. That's the U.S. plus Canada. Yeah. And, and the, other, the other piece that I want to touch on really quickly uh, from Music Business Worldwide on Spotify is uh, the headline was Daniel Eck talks AI, artist-centric, TikTok music, and how price hikes are now part of Spotify's quote-unquote toolbox. So mm -hmm. Spotify's latest earnings report that you just mentioned, you know, it was released last Tuesday. It showed the company beating guidance, um, those are projections, on numerous fronts, including monthly active users, which we talked about last, <laughs> last episode, and premium mm -hmm. subscriptions. Right. So the platform's uh, monthly average users soared by 36 million to Q2 in Q2 to 551 million, a 27% year-over-year increase, while the number of paid subscribers jumped 10 million to hit a total of 220 million which is a 17% year-over-year increase. And the music streaming service reported an adjusted operating loss of 112 million euros, about 13% less than its guidance of 129 million euros for the quarter. Yeah, and you just did something that I did many times last week, and that is um, said monthly average users. It's monthly oh, active users. Active users. And, and I said that like six times last <laughs> week, so pardon me. I think people knew what we, what we were getting at. So, yes, I hope so. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. It was Spotify's you know reported net loss, though, that drew attention of the markets, coming in at 302 million uh, euros for the quarter. That's uh, 1.55 euros per share. It was considerably wider than the 125 million euros um, loss in Q2 2022. 
Markets reacted negatively to that news with Spotify shares dropping more than, well, almost 14% in early trading on the New York Stock Exchange Tuesday, taking the share price down to around $141 U.S. dollars as of 11.55 on, on that day, Eastern time. Right. So here's what Daniel X said. He said, but when user growth slows down, take Sweden as a great example, where we're already at a massive part of the population there, then price increases become an even more important tool in the toolbox. So here's Mm -hmm. a few takeaways from their latest earnings report. Uh, Number one, audiobooks will be the next one where we will look back and say, wow, that became quite meaningful really fast for Spotify. Mm, And this is Daniel Ek again talking. Yeah, we'll see. He also said AI will create massive improvements in the Spotify experience and create efficiencies for advertisers. Yeah, he said, by using generative AI and AR tools here, I think you're going to be able to see that we can significantly reduce the cost that it takes for advertisers to develop new ad formats. Uh, And also switching to a user-centric, regarding switching to a user-centric or artist-centric payment system won't meaningfully impact Spotify's economics, but the platform is open to hearing how we can make the system fairer to more artists. Mm. He also goes on to say, most studies we've done on this show that even if you change it to a user-centric or an artist-centric approach, it seldom leads to these gigantic differences that most people perceive it to do. Yeah, interesting. The last one was Spotify isn't worried about TikTok moving into the music streaming business. Daniel X said, competition is nothing new. It's something that we've been dealing with since the start of the company, and we've had many formidable competitors, and obviously TikTok is one. So... Uh, those were the takeaways from that. Great coverage, as always, from uh, Music Business Worldwide. Yeah. And are you somewhat uh, suspect about their their thought on, on audiobooks? Yeah. And, and that seems a little yeah. not aggressive, but just kind of not necessarily something that I, that yeah. I see making a dramatic difference. I, I agree with you, but I was wrong on podcasts, too. When, when they first got into podcasts, you know, Apple and some of these other platforms were much more established and deeper into it. And I didn't think that they could put a dent and they became uh, the number one source. So um, don't listen to me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or do the opposite. Yeah, or, or do the opposite. Um, one of the things that came out this last week, uh, which was super cool, was uh, media and bands in town. They released this uh, study called Return to Live. And it was really fascinating. So we reached out to our friends over at Bands in Town, and we were fortunate to have Fabrice Surgent um, join us and actually explain what he learned from that Return to Live study. So let's listen to Fabrice Surgent from Bands in Town. Good to see you, Fabrice. Um, Midia has just released a landmark report called Return to Live, Post-Pandemic Music Fans. And that's based on data uh, from your company, Bands in Town. What are some of the highlights from that report? Yes, hi, Jay. Well, the good news is that uh, fans want more, more live music. And as you know, it's been already uh, last year, a record high year post-COVID. But this year, 39% of the concert goers Survey, which we surveyed, said, said that they will attend more shows this year than last year. And only 15% said that they would go to less. 
that's quite amazing. And it, I would say that um, we some may have anticipated that the the unprecedented level of of uh, artists on being on tour post COVID created that demand, but that this demand would not last. And we see that actually what it revealed is the uh, essential contribution of live music to people's life. Uh, the fact that when we talked about being a, one of the last tribal experience, an important moment, um, you know, that, that was proven by, by, by COVID. So this study confirms that this is not, uh, this trend is not like a fade, um, or at least it doesn't seem to fade away. Uh, now, there are challenges that with this study reveals, uh, specifically that um, fans are noticing the increase in prices, artists facing higher costs of touring, you know, ticket increased by sometimes 20%, sometimes 50%. And also because fans are, even though rock still dominates uh, by a big factor, it's pretty clear that pop is being bigger than ever for the younger generations. Um, these generations are also the ones that are the most exposed to the increased ticket prices because they go essentially, they want to see the big acts. So we may be uh, facing at some point risk that inflation will um, reduce opportunities for those younger fans to see uh, the most expensive acts. The last thing is that um, we that the, the research produced was that 25% of the fans said that they wanted to see a show because they hadn't seen that artist and they wanted to see it for the first time. So the counterpart of increased prices and inflation, it may be a good news also for the rising acts and the one that are definitely um, pricing tickets on, on the lowest end of the spectrum, because those fans may switch from expensive pop acts to less expensive creative rising acts. Uh, also, because, just because um, those, those big and large shows created by pop acts get to sell out, as we all know, um, you know, what are you going to do? So the, the demand becomes being unsatisfied. Um, you know, the hunger for live shows and live experience remains strong, and therefore it reports back to new acts. And that's exciting too, frankly. Yeah, very positive report. Thanks for coming on and helping us to understand it a little bit better, Fabrice. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Jay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's, uh, well, and, and yeah, we, we were just looking at the, the costs, but before we, we hit record, the costs for the Taylor Swift shows that are coming up uh, next week here in Los yeah. Angeles. Yeah. Woo! That's a, that takes your breath away. What's the most, what's the most money you've spent for, for a concert ticket? Um, it was $367 for uh, a show I'm seeing in, I don't know, six weeks, and that is uh, Ghost. Oh, okay. Okay. I think the most I've spent was, uh, when I saw McCartney, I spent 400 a seat. Take my family to see yeah. McCartney at Hollywood Bowl through our good friend, uh, 
Brian Ray. Yes. Uh, yeah. But you know that, and that that took my breath away at the time. But they were fabulous seats, and it was so worth it. But you know, when you look at the amount right now, even factoring in you know inflation, I think you know these Taylor Swift tickets are just off the charts. So. Yeah. I mean, there's so much more demand than there is supply, and I have to caveat my answer by. I've been very fortunate to work for record companies for decades and to be in this business. And I don't necessarily pay for a lot of concert tickets because Mm -hmm. I'm either working at the show or I know the manager and I'm maybe going to the show with them. And so uh, I do understand how fortunate we are to not have to pay a lot of these super high prices. And that's why I made it so... um, agreeable, I guess, to pay for those ghost tickets because it's the end of the tour. And if you know anything about ghost, you know, the end of the tour is very special. And I I haven't seen them live before. I missed them last time they were here. I I absolutely love the band. And I figure, you know what? I don't have to pay for a lot of shows. I want to have decent seats. And uh, so a buddy of mine, we're, uh, we're going to go. It's going to be fun. Fun, fun, fun. It is always fun to see stuff like that. Um, Yeah, that'll be a great show. That'll so, be a great uh, show. And we, yeah, just really quickly, are, uh, thank you, Fabrice, uh, for for clearing that up for us and showing us, you know, like he had mentioned that 39% of concert goers, you know, surveyed said that they'll attend more shows uh, this year than last. And it comes down to something you and I talk a lot about, and that is fandom. You know, mm-hmm. it's that's what's driving, you know, 90% of these respondents. It's, you know, it's one of their favorite artists, and they got to go. So... Thanks again for uh, talking us through that report. That was cool. And the exclamation point on that kind of concept is, we, as we were talking before the hitting record, Taylor Swift is doing six nights at SoFi here in Los Angeles. That is unbelievable. That is a giant stadium, and she can sell it <laughs> out in six nights. That is wow. just crazy to me, which leads us beautifully. This isn't our first story. It's just something we found interesting this last week as I was looking for... Um, some really interesting stories. Um, I came across this story um, about, it was from the Washington Post, and the headline was, they couldn't get Taylor Swift tickets, so they got jobs at the venues. And I just thought that was really smart. And uh, kind of the sub-headline was, some Swift fans who couldn't procure or afford tickets opted to temporarily work or volunteer at the stadiums and watch the shows for free. That is just <laughs> absolutely genius. Well played, uh, Swifties. Well played. Yeah, absolutely. And I tip my hat to those fans that thought that through and made it happen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it, and, you know, the, the Taylor Swift thing is just, uh, it's on a different level. It really as this is. article kind of says, you know, it's just when you think about the demand for these tickets, and these tickets by any measure are plentiful, but they are gone in. In a heartbeat. That's right. That's right. And I learned something from this article. I I wasn't aware of this app. Um, It's called Tend, Mm T-E-N-D. And this this gentleman named Davis Waddell um, is the um, chief executive uh, at that app Tend. And what that, well, I'll just read you the one part of it. It says, as the founder of an app that connects workers to hospitality gigs, Davis Waddell knows there's always a surge in applications for high profile events. You know, football fans clamor to work at the Super Bowl, baseball and basketball loyalists vie for all-star games, but he's never seen anything like the volume of job seekers who flooded in when the app started offering hourly opportunities for Taylor Swift's Eras Tour. 
Yeah. He says, again, like we were just saying, Taylor Swift is on a totally different level. Uh, he said, we're getting probably double or triple the amount of applicants for her. When Swift performed three nights at Mercedes-Benz Stadium down in Atlanta in April, he said the app had 65 jobs available for each one, an average of 1,037 people applied per show. So, yeah, a lot of people have the idea. <laughs> yeah, well, and good for them uh, to find a way to uh to actually get to hear the show and, and see the show so i thought that was yeah that was yeah exactly that is that is super fandom with an exclamation point without a doubt yeah and speaking so, of super fandom we're our first story is really about super fans and it's from spotify for artists and it's a fan study which they do fairly regularly and it says fans make it possible and we have the data uh to prove it and i'll, I'll kick it off and then you can take uh, point number one um, they talk about super listeners. Uh, there are fans and then there are diehard fans. Listen on repeat. Buy up all your merch fans. Meet super listeners. The new audience yeah. segment available in Spotify for artists. Um, discover what super listeners can do for you and how to show them love back. Well, and, and guilty as charged, right? You know, when they, when, they, when, when they were describing that, I'm reading that going, hmm, yeah, that, that, that might be me, actually. So it's very interesting to see, you know, and as they say, average, uh, average across all artist sizes, super listeners make up 2% of an artist's monthly listeners, but account for over 18% of monthly streams. Super listener indeed. Yes. And, uh, you know, I was just, I just caught myself, I, was, I just drove down to L.A. last night, and I maybe listened to five songs on the way home. And that's an hour, hour, hour and 20 minute drive. Because <laughs> there was five songs I just was just grooving on. Yeah. And I just wanted to hear those songs over and over again. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's just, you know, that's what I you don't do. know that everybody does. You know, when you're a, that's what a you super do. fan. And number two is releasing new music can supercharge your fan base. That seems a little obvious. But some of your light and moderate listeners are diehard fans in the making. So after releasing new music on average... Artists saw their number of super listeners increase by over 20%. Yeah, exactly. And then they, they go over on to number three, which is super listeners are super loyal too. You may see a boost in super listeners after release, and most will stick around long after that. In fact, over two-thirds of super listeners will still be streaming your music after a six-month stretch. Yeah. So, yeah. You I want, will. You want to tap into those. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, how long have we been talking about Ghost? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's one of those things, like, I was in the top, like, 2% or, of their listeners, you know, um, last year because, you know, I sort of did a deep dive because I had sort of dismissed them early on when I saw the, yeah. the makeup and the stage clothes and things. And then as a friend of mine called me up one time and said, no, you got to listen to Tobias Forge. You know, he's like uh, Tom Schultz from Boston. He's writing interesting songs and it's, yeah. you know, it's all that whole Alice Cooper, David Bowie kind of stuff that I, I love so much. Uh, number four, super listeners make up an XL number of merch purchases. Well played. Um, when it comes to merch, your super listeners show up big. On average, that's 2% of your monthly listeners account for more than half of your merch purchases. And I think about that with my favorite artists, right? Um, I, I want to support them. I want to buy the premium yeah. vinyl, even though I already have it on streaming or maybe even on CD. You talk about right. Taylor Swift, you know, and they're buying cassettes and all sorts of things. And they're doing that because, you know, this point, number four, these are super listeners and we have no problem buying that merch. 
Yeah, number five is your next super listener could be one programmed stream away. Tens of millions of times a day, Spotify listeners actively stream an artist for the first time. Over 40% of those listeners heard that artist via program streaming context on or before that same day. Interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I, I think of the artist Haley Witters. Um, oh, it was well over a year ago, maybe two years ago. Um, but I heard one of her songs in a kind of an Americana uh, playlist, mm-hmm. and I just I just fell in love with it. And then we had her on the Behind the Set List uh, podcast and did an interview. Anyway, long story short, now she's got a song in the top ten, and it's taken a couple right. of years. And you know how country music it's a challenge for women, um, mm-hmm. and for her to do that, it just shows that consistency and just staying at it. You know, it's. The harder I work, the luckier I get. Uh, number six, um, this is really a, a hot item right now. Want more super listeners? Latin America is all ears. Super listeners span the globe, but that doesn't mean they're evenly distributed. In fact, Latin America has four of the top 10 markets with the highest concentration of super listeners, including number one and number two spots. I did not know that. Very Fascinating. Yeah. So as they as they end saying, no matter what you want to achieve in music, fans make it possible. Check out more fan study editions for insights to help develop your fan base and reach your goals. Yeah, you got to yeah. love it. But uh, the super fan. And now when you're listening, so when that song caught your, your ear and your attention... How far into it were you? Like, because usually I find myself like, like I'll be kind of not necessarily uh, actively listening. I'll be passively listening. And then something will just like, I'll go, whoa, 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 wait. And then, and then I'll, it's almost like you switch your brain to active listening. Yes. That's and exactly I say what happened. Yeah. yeah. And then I say, and then it seems like within about 10 seconds, I'm like, Okay, there's something going on here that I just love, yeah. and out comes Shazam, uh, and or whatever you know, and that's sure. So yeah, that's with me. I was listening to a playlist, and whenever I heard something that I really love, I drag it into my playlist, right? Yes. So I listen to their playlist, and I listen, listen, listen. Oh, I want that one. I drop it, drop it in, drop it in, and this one came on, and I knew immediately her voice just didn't sound like anything else on that playlist, right. and it was so melodic and catchy and clever. And I played it like three or four times as we do, right? And uh, yeah, that's what started it. But you kind of know pretty early on if something's special. I can't, I can't tell you how I know. I can just tell you that when I hear a song or see somebody live, you know, the, the hair on my arm goes up or I get a lump in my throat or however it manifests itself uh, for you. And you just know right away, like, what in the hell is that? And I remember, I, I might have mentioned this before on the show, but I remember, uh, what, what year would that have been? 80, whenever whenever the, the first Crowded House album came out, oh. I, it wasn't even on the radio yet. I was no. driving, I was listening to a radio station. I, I lived in West Hollywood at the time, and it was, it was an ad for the album. It wasn't even, they weren't even playing it. It was just an ad for the album, and I heard just a snippet of Don't Dream It's Over. And I literally drove directly <laughs> to Tower Records because yeah. it was like a mile away on Sunset and bought the record yeah. because I just, it was all I needed was like five seconds of that song That's to right. go. It was special. Still it's, one it's of my special. favorite albums ever. Me too. Yes. I have it framed right here in front of me, signed by the guys. It is oh, one of my nice. top five albums ever. It's just amazing. 
It's wonderful. So, hey, the next story, Jay, from uh, At Venue, an updated look at artist merch trends in 2023. Before we jump in, let's explain uh what At Venue is for people who don't know. If you're a touring artist and let's say you're selling CDs on the road, but you want them to be considered for placement on the billboard charts or you want them to be in Luminate when uh, people look up to see how many you've sold, the way you do that is with at venue and it's an app um, you register for it and then you can register your venue sale. So I just wanted to say that because I've never seen an article from at venue before. And I have since um, subscribed to their newsletter, but I got this from my business partner, Jeff Mosco. He sent this to me, uh, I think last Thursday and it was something you and I had talked about. Like we wondered how much, you know, yes. the average per head, uh, at shows, and I'll, I'll just kick it off. It says earlier in the year, we did a, a pulse check on how many you know dollars per head was trending, and now that we're halfway through summer, we want to update how artist merch trends have changed in 2023. We look at fan interest in concert merchandise, the top selling items by genre, super interesting, and how the dollars per head changed since our last update from earlier this year. So let's get started. Yeah, so they say the average uh, dollar per head for the industry is slightly above 2022, and that's at $8.66. So they say K-pop continues to dominate merch sales with about one-third of attendance buying merchandise. Wow. The top-selling merch items selling two times more than any other item is, shockingly, you guessed it, a black T-shirt mm-hmm. with the most common sizes tied at medium and large. And uh, hoodies have moved their way up to a top three item in most genres. That's so, super interesting. So yeah. the, you just said that the average um, is slightly above last year, and it's now the average is $8.66 uh, per head. So if you're playing a 15,000-seat uh, arena... That's $130,000 in merch. Now, that is overall. If you look at the different genres, like you said, hip-hop overperforms, that would have been $160,000. So I would imagine that concerts like, well, like Ghost or even you know Taylor Swift and some of these probably index uh, a little bit higher. There's certain bands that you go see... And it's, you know, Kiss, for example. And it's so much about the merch. Yes, yes, yeah. So getting kind of specific by genre, as you were kind of starting with, you know, we talk in country, they, this, it's $7.73 per head, typically. Uh, That was up actually 29% from last year. Last year was only $6, a little over $6 per head. That's a big Um, increase. That's a huge increase. And you wonder, uh, yeah, I would love to know kind of the, the, the story behind these numbers. You know, are there more artists out there? Are they d- different artists that, that perhaps historically do well with merch? Yeah, Who knows? I think know? it's but, some of these big country that, tours that have been going, whether it's Shania or Luke Combs or whoever it is. There's, there's been, and people are getting back to bigger and uh, better tours and bigger arenas and all of that. But, you know, we, we saw that, um, that year-over-year growth you know, we talked about how hip hop, you know, kind of overperforms everybody else, but it was down six percent year over year. Yeah, yeah, ten dollars and seventy cents this year. Last year it was eleven dollars and thirty four cents. 
uh, per head. Alternative artists, they're kind of in the same. They're actually up 7% this year. They're at $10.40 this, this, this year, uh, up from $9.74. Uh, pop, also t- a little over $10. Last year was uh, a little under $10, so that changed uh, by up, up 3%. And then Rock, $8.47, and they're down 5% this year. It was $8.88 last year. Yeah, and again, so, you kind of want to know why, like what tours, because yeah. you're comparing apples to chainsaws, you know, when you're, because you don't... <laughs> As I often do. Because <laughs> you don't know, you know, uh, what artists toured last year and this year. I mean, they do, and we could probably look it up if we uh, had the time. Um, but they say that the percentage of attendance buying merch by genre it's super interesting, you know, like, like you said, 31% of the crowd is going to be buying merch on average at a K-pop show. Well, you know, a fifth of the crowd at pop and alternative and heavy metal Mm -hmm. and rock. I mean, they're all about a fifth of the crowd roughly. And the, the two genres that sort of underperformed, uh, compared to the other genres, country and EDM, which sort of surprises me. And I wonder if there's limited, uh, limited items in merch, especially like at an EDM concert, because you're talking about yeah. typically one DJ or, you know, several DJs as, as, as opposed, if I can spit it out to like a band. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the, the, we, I just need to know more, Jay. Uh, but they're saying here the top, uh, the top selling items by genre, by numbers sold. T-shirts, unsurprisingly, continue to be the most popular item with a single T-shirt averaging 38% of a band's gross sales. Wow. Hoodies, hoodies have grown in popularity as a top selling item in all genres, again, besides country. Uh, do, yeah. do country fans not wear hoodies? I, well, I, what's the deal? Well, let's break it down because they, they do a great job in this, in this piece uh, talking about what items sell per genre because it's different, you know, and I'll just take the first two, you know, with country, the top three items, t-shirt, koozie, right? And a hat. Okay. That's country. But if you look at hip hop, it, it, yeah, it's a t-shirt, but then it's the hoodie and the long sleeve, not the koozie and the hat. Yeah, exactly. Alternative is t-shirt, then hoodie, then vinyl. And pop is t-shirt, hoodie, Long sleeve, presumably T-shirt. Interesting. (laughs) And then to to, to finish it off, you know, in the rock world, um, this this was surprising to me. T-shirt, hoodie, and poster, because I find it really hard to carry some of the stuff around at a show, right? Yes. And so you want to get it early, so they're not sold out of the vinyl, you know, that you really want. But do you really want to carry a poster around uh, a show or a festival? I don't. No, gets gets easily damaged. But uh, yeah, this is a fascinating. Uh, and we, I, it was I can't remember when we were talking about that. Wondering kind of details about you know what 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 the head the head number is. You know what what is an average person attending a concert spend on merchandise? Yeah, and again, it's big numbers. Yeah, it is big numbers. And the only thing I would add to this discussion is. Um, I thought that was just an, a great piece. I was always really curious about, you know, what that number was on average per head. I put a video in your morning coffee in the newsletter right underneath that story um, by this gentleman who goes by Tank the Tech. And there's a video he got, well, the, the headline is, an arena band gave me their actual merch income sheet, and it's mind-blowing. So if you want to dig into the merch side, this goes deep. I mean, it covers the truck and the drivers and, you know, yeah. flights and hotels and all the different things. But the bottom line is from this video, 
is that of the this band made about one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars that night gross on merch, and they only took home eight percent, eight. Whoa. The rest of it was eaten up. Well, and this was a European tour, so you had things like oh. the venue fee was 25%. So the venue's taken 25% of the merch just off right the off the top, right? But yeah. then in since they were in Europe, they had this VAT, value-added tax, which was mm-hmm, another mm-hmm. 25%. So there's Ooh. half of their merch is out the door just like yeah. that. So a lot of wow. mouths to feed. And I wonder too, kind of what the margins are on merch. You know, when you look at these numbers, the eight dollars and sixty six per eight dollars and sixty six cents per head, uh, typically spending. But what's the you know what, what's the margin on that? What, what's huge. the cost of merch? Oh, yeah. it's huge. Well, we we deal in that um, in, mm-hmm. on the merch side. So I have a kind of a view into, and obviously it's just like CDs or vinyl or anything else. If you make a hundred, they cost one price. If you make a hundred thousand, they cost a lot less. And some of these tours that we're talking about, Taylor Swift, for example, they're making a ton. So they're making even more money because they're paying less for those goods. But, um, there are touring bands that I work with right now that are making about half their revenue on merch and then the other half, you know, on the venue side. So it's big business. You can make a lot of money on merch, but when there's money, there's people who want a, a piece of that pie. And that's, you know, we that's talked right. about Jackie Venson last week. If you didn't listen mm-hmm. to the podcast, you got to check that out. Look at the newsletter from last week, the op-ed by Jackie Venson. She talks about how venues are getting more and more aggressive at taking a cut of the artist's revenue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's harsh. Very harsh. Anyway, great article, great uh, website and newsletter, I'm sure. So, uh at venue, fascinating data. And our last yeah. story from Music Business Worldwide, user-centric. New study of 50,000 indie SoundCloud artists shows one in five could double income under streaming model. <laughs> and that is very interesting. But as you know, we, well, as you, you say, Jay, so, but if, if, if one person taketh, another person give it away, giveth away. And so yeah. it's got to come from somewhere, That's right? That's right. And it's a kind of a zero-sum game. Um, music streaming services switching to user-centric payment model, it would have a significant impact on the payments artists receive with one in five artists, as you just said, doubling their earnings. But four in 10 could see significant drops. And that's kind of the, the secret yeah, there of the it sub-menu is. right there. If there's <laughs> a winner, there's a loser, interesting. right? There is a loser, right. This, by the way, is by Daniel Tensor over at... Uh, Music Business Worldwide. Uh, it says, uh, music streaming services uh, switching to a user-centric payment model would have a significant impact on the payments artists receive, with one in five, as we said, artists doubling their earnings, while four in ten could see, could see significant drops. That's according to the results of a new study from Germany-headquartered music services firm ProMusic. The study found that 29.3% of artists would see an increase in income of 40% or more when compared to the pro rata model of payments currently favored by most streaming platforms. That's that's a good number if that if you're getting that. Yeah, and you should check out that report that they're talking about. Um, they link to it uh, Ryan Rauscher, um, who is a digital music uh, specialist with a focus on DSPs and uh, UGC, user-generated uh, platforms. The headline is The Impact of a User-Centric Payment System, Not Marginal. 
In previous articles, he says he's discussed the problem with the current payment model called pro rata, right? After explaining that the problem is not that it unduly favors mainstream artists, that it's not streaming fraud or lack of transparency. He argues that instead the issue is that pro rata does not do a good job at representing consumer demand and the value created by artists and their music. So, you know, he, he says that a user centric payment system, UCPS, he doesn't think it would change much. Yeah. Interesting. He says, so while the gainers are 19% smaller in terms of streams, they're actually on an average 40% bigger when measured in users reach the study said. So there's a lot of interesting again, but to me, as I'm thinking about this stuff, but so, okay, so there's not a lot, you know, there's, there's give and take in all of these, these, uh, these different models, but what's the, what's the most fair. (laughs) And to me, the most fair is that people that whose artists who people are spending time with the most should be compensated in general. Yeah. I I think that's that's fair. And I think that, whether or not there are a lot of winners and losers when you switch from pro rata to user centric, it feels like the right thing to do. Yes, it feels like the right thing to do. And, and so, so therefore maybe it is the right thing to do. (laughs) So let's, Jay, let's just put our foot down and make that happen starting Monday. What do you say? (laughs) Right. Well, this, this study found that there were three principal factors um, that would result in an artist receiving more money under the user centric model versus pro rata. Mm-hmm. Number one, an artist relative user reach. What that means is the more users an artist reaches relative to their total number of streams, the more they are favored under the user-centric model. Okay, so number two is an artist's average user commitment. The higher the share of a user's total listening time is devoted to a particular artist, the more that artist is favored under the user-centric model. Ah, so an artist's relative average user spend, okay, that means the Mm -hmm. more money an artist's listeners spend on their subscriptions, for for example, by purchasing higher tier services, um, you know, uh, paid versus free, the more an artist is favored by the user-centric model. Right. So what's interesting is the pro music study results contrast with earlier studies, which found a less pronounced impact on artists' earnings from a switch to the user-centric model. And they said, they wanted to say, for instance, a 2021 study from the France-based Centre National de la la Musique. It's easy for you to say. (laughs) Jeez, not not at all. Uh, which looked at artists and listeners on streaming services Deezer and Spotify, found that the top ten most listened to artists on Deezer would receive seventeen point two percent lower royalty payments under the user centric model compared to the pro rata model, while the top ten artists on Spotify would receive twelve point five percent less under yeah. user centric. I remember payments. us covering uh, that story um, when it came out, and mm-hmm. you know re- results like this maybe why major record companies appear to be reluctant to support a user-centric approach uh, to payments. And they, they've increasingly come out in favor of the artist-centric model, which would reward artists according to the quote-unquote added value they bring to a streaming platform. For instance, an artist that typically starts users' listening stash sessions or is able to bring in new signups to the platform would receive higher payments per stream under the artist-centric model. Right, 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 right. So, I don't know. You know, uh, we're, we're going to see. 
this is one of those things that we talk about all the time. Yeah. And it seems like there's just conflicting data here That's and there. Right. But I yeah. I still go back to that that yeah. the the overarching concept, which is what is the more fair? And yes, some will be will be positively benefited, some will be negatively, you know, changed in terms of how much money they're making, but it's just it just seems inherently fairer to do the user centric model. Yeah, so that's I'm the way it seems to me. To, to me as well, you know, there's, there's, as we always say, thank you, Ricky Warwick. There's three sides to every story, yours, mine, and the yes. truth. And we have seen conflicting data on both sides of this. Um, but it seems like there's more analysis being done. And again, mm-hmm. this, this was a super interesting report, uh, using data from SoundCloud, which is sort of leading the uh, charge here for, uh, user centric. Uh, payments. So yes. well done yeah. by, and, and, by Daniel Tenser, by the way, over at Music Business yes. Worldwide. Nicely done. Thank you, Daniel. And uh, and it gets me back to thinking about this kind of mysterious thing that Universal is doing, you know, these conversations they're 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 having with, you know, figuring out ways to make it more fair. I wonder what's going on with that. Maybe yeah. we should well uh, let's go let's after the show let's let, let's stop by Lucian's house and ask what's going on. Yeah, maybe go have a cup of coffee. That's right. All right. I'm, I'm sure in. he would answer the door. Sure. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap it up. We want to thank our good friends over at the Music Business Association, Hypebot and Bands in Town, for helping us put the show together every week. We could not do it without those wonderful folks. And if you enjoyed the show, please tell one friend. I know Jay and I would greatly appreciate that. And on that note, Jay and I say big thanks for checking us out today. And we will be back next time on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.